0: Sure, sure. You know, we've done a bunch of great deals, and I'd love to tell you about them all. But the most transformational deal for us was a a multi-transaction monetization uh, of hospital assets, which at the time uh, was uh, for CHI, now part of Common Spirit. In some ways, it put us on the map. It was the largest, it still is, the largest single monetization of healthcare real estate in the history of the REIT business and we're, we're proud of that. As a smaller REIT at the time, we proved that we could perform, uh, maintain and build the relationship and that led to a follow on transaction. So at the end of that, that whole uh, two tranche transaction, we acquired 63 properties in nine states, little under 4 million square feet for a billion dollars. And uh, that was a, a big deal for us and uh, it's worked out great and uh, CHI morphed into common spirit and uh, we're very happy with the relationship we have with that those folks now
1: this is the providers properties and performance podcast the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns Today's interview is with Dan Klein, Executive Vice President and Chief Investment Officer at Physicians Realty Trust, a real estate investment trust that focuses solely on the healthcare real estate asset class. Their culture of teamwork within the company and with its provider partnerships sets them apart in order to successfully complete large transactions at a fast pace and maintain the relationships with their tenants to achieve their goal as long-term investors in its properties. Join me as Dan shares with us the story behind Physicians Realty Trust, their investment philosophy, and get to know a little bit about his leadership style. Hey, Dan, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast.
0: Thanks, Tricia. It's a privilege to participate on your podcast and greetings from Charleston, South Carolina.
1: Oh, very nice. Well, I love Physicians Realty Trust. I think everyone I've met there is uh, very personable. You guys obviously are very focused in your investing and obviously uh, focused in this sector. So do you want to share the story behind uh, Physicians Realty Trust start in 2013?
0: Sure, I'd be happy to. Thanks. Physicians Realty Trust, DOC as we call it, because that's the ticker symbol on the New York Stock Exchange, started with an IPO in 2013 with about $120 million worth of properties we acquired, which was 19 properties in 10 states. We acquired those from a Chicago-based investment firm with Roots in Wisconsin, which is where we're currently headquartered today. This is historically a pretty small IPO size, uh, but the founders, John Sweet and John Thomas, uh, our current CEO, along with the early management team and our board led by Tommy Thompson, uh, had a vision for creating this amazing uh, medical office suite. And fast forwarding seven years to today, We've constructed a portfolio of nearly five billion dollars, which is spread across 268 assets in 36 states. So we're getting there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I would say I would say so. So uh, you know, there are some REITs in the in the sector that do uh, focus on healthcare as well, but unlike other REITs, you are built. And started solely on healthcare, and you only focus on healthcare properties and the healthcare real estate asset class. So, how did the leadership decide this specific direction?
0: Well, let's start with the thesis that Doc uh, is a long term investor. Uh, so, theoretically, in perpetuity, and we're neither short term holders nor flippers. So, what's the best sector in the long run if that's our approach? And frankly, we believe it's medical office. We used to answer this question with the, oh, well, 10,000 people a day turn 65, and there's a whole set of stock answers that follow that. And while that's true and, and transformational, there are many more millennials than, than boomers, and Gen X is right behind the millennials in size. And the fact of the matter is, while older Americans require more health care, uh, everyone requires some health care. And we're simply not getting younger, and we're sadly not getting healthier. Uh, So the opportunities for growth in in the space are tremendous. And we saw that seven years ago, and we still believe that today. Uh, It's even um, uh, it's growing uh, more than we thought. And healthcare spending is about 18 percent of GDP. And in 1960, I think it was six percent. That's a staggering increase. And uh, I don't see a whole lot slowing that down right now. So we think the lion's share of that spending is going to occur in medical office buildings and in particular off-campus medical office buildings, and we think that's the future of healthcare. More and more spending is leaving the hospital campus in favor of convenient outpatient locations, and there will always be a place for on-campus locations, don't get me wrong, but 72% of the 2020 construction starts were off-campus, and so that's where the world is headed in our opinion.
1: And I think the hospitals are, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the hospitals are trying to focus on their unique ability of offering acute care services um, and understanding that they, you know, the outpatient um, non-critical care is not where they shine.
0: I I think I would agree with that. We did some surveying during COVID this summer uh, around consumer preferences for healthcare locations. And overwhelming response was that patients just don't want to go to the campus right now, and and maybe into the future uh, that they prefer a closer location to them. And uh, you know, viewing that patient as a consumer uh, it really turns the conversation around a little bit.
1: Well, and you yourself, you have an extensive career with REITs um, focused in in the healthcare real estate industry and the asset class. But what sets PRT apart from other healthcare real estate investors in general and REITs specifically?
0: Well, first, the management team and board is steeped in healthcare. We're known for our deep relationships in the space, and we work really hard on nurturing those relationships. Uh, Second, as I said earlier, we're long-term owners. So we approach investments and the relationships through that lens. So we don't have five-year windows where we need to sell something. We don't flip. We don't take every nickel off the table. And as a result, about 80% of our business is repeat business. That's really high, and we're, we're proud of that. And most of our deals are off market. And you know, last, we're building a portfolio, we think, for the future of healthcare. So we emphasize investment grade and equivalent providers. We capitalize on healthcare's continuing transition away from the hospital campus, as we talked about earlier. And uh, to us, just to, to put a finer point on it, I mean, yesterday's healthcare was hospital centric and tomorrow's healthcare is consumer centric.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. So, you are the Senior Vice President of Investments and the Deputy uh, Chief Investment Officer. So, obviously, you're very involved in the acquisitions. Uh, so, what does PRT look for in, in a healthcare real estate opportunity? Yes,
0: I'm all those things, and it almost requires the typing on the back of the business card, too. I I need shorter titles. What, What do we look for in an opportunity? Well, we screen for strategic clinical medical office facilities located in growing markets and leased to strong health systems, hospitals, or larger physician groups. And strategic to us means the building and its uses must align with the provider's outpatient strategy, and be relatively sticky in terms of use, acuity, and procedures. For example, orthopedics, cardiology, oncology—those are all uh, great uses and, and tenants of ours. Uh, we, uh, in opposition to things we we don't really look for, like administrative space, IT space, back office space, hospitals, and other acute care types of facilities, longer duration, and seniors' housing—we're not currently involved in today. So uh, that's looking like. A wise decision today, but who knows what happens in the future. So that's what we look for. And as far as investment criteria goes, it's really detailed, quantitative and qualitative mix of uh, of data and uh, people and departments in our shop that, that end up uh, chiming in on on all facets of a deal. But uh, you know, recognizing that kind of rare is a deal that, that checks every box. Um, I'll give you a few things that we do look for, and and uh, if we get them all, that's great. But we look to to get most of them out of most deals. So stabilized assets, we're not the the turnaround guys. Uh, Stabilized assets lease to providers affiliated with a leading health system or a larger physician group as as I talked about. Financially strong tenants with solid credit profiles, it's very important to us. Uh, Long lease terms and a preference toward those specialized uses we talked about. Markets that have population and income growth, that's great. Um, if it's in a, if the building's in a medical micro market, kind of near other MOBs, you uh, know, growing outpatient market with case volumes, uh, they're appropriate, then, then we like that. And as far as the building, you know, we seek out class A buildings, 50,000 square feet and larger, although we, we will do smaller, but in general, 50,000 feet and larger and less than 15 years old. The older buildings tend to be a little uh, harder to sustain over time. That's kind of what we look for.
1: I mean, you're in you're in 38 states, 36 states now. You said, or and, but do you have a geographic preference when you're looking at opportunities?
0: You know, we really, we really don't. Um, in contrast to some of our peers, uh, we really don't. Uh, you know, we do favor, as I said, top 100 MSAs and vibrant markets, and that generally tilts us toward the South, Southeast, West, and, and Mountain West. But we're much more focused on the, the credit of our tenants, the historical operating record, the management team uh, of those tenants, and what the strategies are for the next decade. If those things are in line, uh, we'll look at at secondary and tertiary markets, maybe more uh, open-mindedly uh, than our peers would.
1: Well, and in Arizona, you entered the market in Phoenix here in 2015 with a large portfolio uh, for the integrated medical services. Is that how you tend to enter markets is try to make a big purchase?
0: It can be. We've done that in some markets uh, like Phoenix, but as long as we have confidence in the the provider and its management team and strategy, um, it can be a one-off deal and, and we'll follow that tenant into different markets from there. So we're very focused on, it's interesting for a real estate investment trust who's you know, old adage would be location, 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 and real estate is everything. I mean, that matters. But the, the tenant, at least in the healthcare space, is very important to us. And um, uh, we spent a great deal of time underwriting that.
1: And so, you know, you guys are very phys- physician-focused. And, and as you know, physicians, you know, if they're coming out of, if they're selling you an asset, they may, you know, want to try to stay in for some passive income. Do you guys have any vehicles with that, that you are allowed allowing them to still participate or does being publicly traded restrict that?
0: No, we, we do. Um, and we've, we've crafted some solutions over the years to, to address that. Uh, we offer position ownership. We structure sale leaseback transactions and, and we can offer uh, OPU transactions and selected more significant situations or deals. And OPU stands for Operating partnership units. And broadly speaking, that's a deal where the seller does not receive cash. Rather, they receive share equivalent units and dividend equivalent units in DOC, the the company, which very much resembles shares of DOC and and dividends in DOC. Um, And it's a tax advantage vehicle. There are tax advantages if structured correctly. So that's an opportunity for um, some of our uh, sellers to participate in appreciation of stock as it goes forward, rather than just taking cash out, and in in addition, getting a tax benefit as well. Now, I'm not a practicing lawyer anymore, and I'm not an accountant, and every deal is different, and the lawyers are going to tell me I need to say that, and so (laughs) check with your advice.
1: Everybody needs to go and before they make a huge financial investment decision, and based on their specific financial criteria. but it's great that you have an option you know for people to consider if they're are able to take advantage of it and you see it too i mean some th- physicians i think in different times of their life they want to be they want to have control everything and and own everything and then they get to a different part or the economy changes and they you know that they find out that sometimes that ta- owning real estate takes them away from practicing medicine and then they want to go back to just practicing medicine and but they still Want to have investment in themselves you know so to speak
0: it's interesting you know it creates some alignment for us and we like it in the fact that it gives them some skin in the game and it it sets us on a a concurrent path but it it ebbs and flows and it's got little fits and starts and you know for three or four years it'll be very popular and then it'll wane a little bit and yeah i guess also uh we see more interest in position ownership At the beginning of a deal and maybe as you get closer to the closing uh maybe a little less interest as you know people start to eyeball the the actual uh proceeds but um we're happy to do it we love doing it we've got a bunch of position partners now and i I think we will continue to to offer those programs
1: well you've, you've done a ton of transactions but does anyone um sort of stick out for a good story obviously keeping things confidential that need to be confidential
0: Sure, sure. You know, we've done a bunch of great deals, and I'd love to tell you about them all. But the most transformational deal for us was a a multi-transaction monetization uh, of hospital assets, which at the time uh, was uh, for CHI, now part of Common Spirit. In some ways, it put us on the map. It was the largest, it still is, the largest single monetization of healthcare real estate in the history of the REIT business. And we're, we're proud of that. Um, as a smaller read at the time, we proved that we could perform, uh, maintain and build the relationship. And that led to a follow-on transaction. So at the end of that, that whole uh, two tranche transaction, we acquired 63 properties in nine states, a little under 4 million square feet for a billion dollars. And uh, that was a, a big deal for us. And uh, it's worked out great. And uh, CHI morphed into common spirit. And uh, we're very happy with the relationship we have with that with those folks now.
1: And I don't think many people understand the entire the manpower that it takes to put that kind of transaction together.
0: It was uh, yes, you're right. Thanks for appreciating that, uh, and also that the timing was tricky because it had to happen pretty quickly. And so we you know we all rushed out, and um, our ops team, and leasing team, and asset management teams just you know busted busted their, their back ends to get out there and see every property and do all the due diligence. And, you know, to acquire that many properties in that short period of time is really, uh, it it was really a great experience.
1: Well, if I, if I would say, obviously, you know, your, your financial and real estate acumen in the industry, but Mm -hmm. I would say one thing that I think sets PRT apart is you, you guys do work as a team. And I think you, and that, obviously I think helps you put deals like this together as quick as you can. Cause I, I would say that whenever I meet somebody that works for PRT, it's a very, um, you know, you guys are all towards the same goal. You know, you're all committed to what, to, to the vision and you know what your leadership sets forth and and you guys all work together to get things done.
0: That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. We have, uh, we've got a great culture Um, uh, you know, Part of that is our, our DNA and our our original uh, kind of culture, I, I guess. But you know, we have seventy-ish people for a five billion dollar company. We just don't have a lot of people, so we're, we don't move like a big organization. We move like a small company, and we're nice and we like to get along with people. And you know, that sounds like a stupid, silly thing, but it works. And so uh, people keep coming back to us, and um, we're able to attract. Talents uh in Milwaukee, where we're based, and then in, in the other markets we're in, um, that is consistent with uh, you know with that vision.
1: You know, I'm sure that you guys keep your eye on on what's happening in healthcare in the healthcare industry. You guys have obviously, I'm sure, had tenants uh, affected by coronavirus and you know the effects of the pandemic. And with all of this going on, you know, where do you guys have your discussions on where the future of healthcare is is heading?
0: Well, let me. S- start by stating the obvious, COVID's job one. So we can't look out too much further at this point than tackling COVID. Uh, it'll be the primary focus of the entire healthcare space until we get out of the woods. Um, and uh, you know, issues on the table are, are daunting, prevention, diagnosis, treatment, therapeutics, testing, tracing, masking, PPE, supply chain, physician shortages, staffing issues, mental health. I mean, there's just so much that goes along with how we not just get a vaccine and, and get it out there, but, you know, how we deal with all these issues simultaneously um, and then and then help uh, have our providers care for the, the people that are getting sick and injured, having nothing to do with COVID. That we're um, and, and as we've read, that's, you know, the, the lack of some of that service is is causing um, some downstream issues. So we're right in the thick of it, unfortunately, but I'd like to think we've learned a lot since March, uh, and that'll help. You know, hopefully we won't have the PPE issues that we had in the spring, but it's still going to be challenging for a handful more months or maybe a little longer. Uh, Thankfully, Americans are resilient and we're going to hang in there and fight the the good fight. And once we can approach normal again, and, and you can see this, but your audience uh, can't, I'm gonna put normal in the podcast air quotes, because I'm not sure I'm not sure if normal's actually going to be normal. Uh, but once we get to something like normal, uh, we're gonna to have to address the challenges that were already there pre-COVID, like profitability and cost control and outpatient versus inpatient strategies, uh, and trends and uh, the physician nursing shortages and access to affordable health care then into that soup you throw affordable care act uncertainty and there's just no easy answer I mean, that depends on the, the case pending uh supreme court california versus texas it depends on what happens in the georgia runoff is it runoffs as it relates to uh you know senate control because that'll have downstream impacts on on the health care space if it goes one way or the other uh depends on how ably the biden administration can work with what Appears to be a recalcitrant Senate. And it depends on how much the Democrats struggle with in kind of internally dealing with the progressive part of their party and the, the moderate part of their, uh, their party. So all of that makes your head spin. But I think the good news is that we all agree we want to beat the virus. And everybody should have access to adequate health care. You start there, we can move the ball down the field in 2021, find some agreement addressing those things. Um, I do think the way it's shaping up now, I expect relative stability in the health care sector during the Biden administration. I just think there's bigger fish to fry I don't know that they're going to go milling around in the health care space right after the COVID thing gets fixed. I think there'll be other areas where focus will be will be given. Um, so I, I think that's good for the industry. I think I like we like Doc's positioning to assist our provider partners, the real estate aspects of healthcare during uh, during that and, and, and uh, coming out of it. I think once everybody takes a deep breath and we make the transition and everything calms down a little bit and we get a vaccine out there, I, I think things will get a lot better. I think there's. There's a pent up desire for some better times,
1: and I think I think the first, conservatively, I think the first 12 months of the Biden administration is going to be only coronavirus. I'm not sure that there's a lot of more bandwidth to deal with anything else, um, but hopefully. Uh, but then he'll then you know I do think moving on to healthcare in the future of where that's going and and like you said, getting an affordable system in place. Where do you see PRT responding to? you know, hopefully getting to a point where the U.S. can have maybe a hybrid model or, you know, and an affordable care model, you know, does that change how you guys might invest?
0: I'll answer the healthcare piece of that first and the healthcare real estate piece of that second. The healthcare piece, and I want to be careful because our, our tenants, our partners, our providers, they're providing the care. Um, I don't want to presume that that Doc is, is doing that. We're here to help them accomplish their, their missions. So, Honestly, whichever way it goes, we're in good shape. I mean, they're just, the the politics as a whole is, is strange as it sounds, a small piece in this demographic healthcare puzzle. The, the three demographic groups I mentioned earlier, I mean, the impact of those groups moving through the system is greater than any policy change that's going to be enacted, and, and given that those policy changes take a long time to enact. Uh, It's just not gonna happen overnight. So I don't think we're holding our breath for overnight policy change in either direction. I think we are more focused on the supporting our partners and caring for the, uh, and dealing with the demographic shifts that are occurring that are requiring more care and better care and faster care. And we're almost agnostic on the, the political side of it. And I think we're in good shape, whatever happens. As far as real estate goes, and you know, we think of ourselves as healthcare's real estate partner of choice. And we do that because we see the, the broader healthcare landscape. I, I think we're good at that. Um, we understand the policy uh, implications of, of certain actions. And we understand the consumers and trends that are just so strong that are driving a lot of the changes in, in healthcare and is behind some of our you know, thinking on the off-campus environment. And we're resource rich, meaning we've got the capital to deploy and we're efficient at at raising that. And and we have that ready, uh, willing and able to be deployed to our healthcare partners. And um, I'd like to think we're nimble and creative in our solutions for the real estate side. And if we can help with that and alleviate some of the capital burden on our providers and our systems and our tenants and our physician groups, then they have a little more time and a little more cash to go address care problems and challenges.
1: Listen. Listen to your tenants, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, REITs, still, REIT's own uh, still like ten percent or less of the, the addressable market. So there's uh, still seventy percent of real estate that's owned by providers in one way, shape, or form. And depending on whose math you're using, And that's up to one hundred and fifty billion dollars of opportunities. So there's so much more work to be done. Not every health system or, or physician or physician group is going to believe that partnering with somebody like Doc is the way to go, and that that's fine. They'll get there eventually. Um, but in the meantime, there's plenty of people that, that do want to you know, redeploy dollars from real estate and hard assets into care, and we're excited about those opportunities.
1: Absolutely, and and I think that, um, like I said, you know, doctors, they have life cycles in their practice and their uh, career as well, and, and having somebody that can be a real estate partner and, and help them out with whatever they need in that certain cycle is helpful. Before we head into the Q&A session of this interview, I want to take a moment to promote an offer. If you are a provider and you own your own real estate and ever wondered what your options are, I invite you to schedule a 20-minute strategy session with me to discuss the benefits of a sale leaseback transaction. If you have 10 years or more left to practice or you are a large practice, a sale leaseback provides you with the proceeds now to exit the real estate and reinvest into your practice or invest elsewhere. Please go to docproperties.com forward slash free dash consultation Dash, Trisha Tricia dash Talbot to schedule a call. The link will be in the show notes as well. If you're driving or unable to write it down. Thank you. And now we'll return back to the interview. So uh, Dan, I'm going to move to the, the Q and a to get to know you a little bit. So what was your first job?
0: My first job was oh. delivering pizzas for Domino's. I loved it. What a great job. Uh, it was awesome. And, you know, coming home with $40 in tips was just like, ah, oh, it's fantastic. What I'm going to do is $40. It taught me a lot about work and money and dealing with bosses and customers. You know, I ran over a few mail, mailboxes in my day. So it taught me how to back out of driveways a little more safely. Um, and, you know, to this day, I've just got a tremendous respect for the food service industry. I think it's, it's a job that uh, everybody should do, uh, once or twice in their life. It, it gives you a great perspective. And, um, I uh, admire those people that are in it full time. It's not easy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. What would you be doing for a living if you were not working in healthcare real estate investments?
0: You know, if, if talent and the need for money weren't important, I'm going to make an assumption in your question that, that I need uh, neither the talent nor the money to do what I really uh, would do. If I weren't doing this, I would love to be a uh, golf teaching professional. Or coach high school basketball and teach American history. Those are three things I've always thought would be fun to do, if not in a way that I had the ability or or could generate a living. So,
1: what or who are you reading or listening to right now for news, information, or inspiration?
0: I am reading a book, uh, "Skin in the Game" by uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. He wrote "Black Swan." It's about um, asymmetries in life. It's significantly and materially over my head and I'm plotting my way through it. But uh, so far, so good. It, it's a good read. I honestly don't read as many books as I should. I always I see Bill Gates. I hear Bill Gates talk and the other folks about they read a book a day or a book a week. And I don't read as many as I should because uh, I've got a short attention span. But I consume a, a boatload of information via podcasts and blogs and white papers and so I probably accumulate the same number of pages, just in in a different way. At the top of my podcast list is providers, properties, and performance for sure. It's number one. Um, and I also listen to and there's five or six that I listen to on a regular basis. But um, uh, Masters in Business by Barry Ritholtz is a great podcast, and the Compound Show with Josh Brown. Um, those are both kind of more in- investment uh, oriented podcasts. I've got. To for that so those are fun.
1: Very nice. What is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care?
0: Um, every morning I spend a minute thinking about my day in the context of my worldview. Um, how do I use my time today to further my bigger picture goals? And that's not original thinking I stole from Stephen Covey's seven Habits decades ago. It's the begin with the end in Mind theory but it's resonated with me and I've, I've applied it since. Um, You know, most actions in most days should further my mission. And and what is that? So I I spend a few minutes every morning trying to think about what I'm going to be doing for the day and how that fits into the bigger picture and making sure that it does and adjusting if it doesn't. Past that, I spend a minute or two thinking about each member of my family, you know, what they, what support they need that day, what help they need, what guidance, and that's a wife or daughter's. Mother, father, and sister. So that takes a minute. I, I like to spend a minute every day thinking about that, making sure I'm in sync with what I think they're wanting.
1: What's the age range of your daughters?
0: 17, 19, 26, 28. They're all great and different.
1: My oldest is 14. So we've just started the teenage years. It's quite interesting.
0: <laughs> it's it so, so much easier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And going through a, a pandemic, it's, uh, we, we have lots of conversations.
0: I fortunately had, did not have to homeschool. Our youngest is 17 and she's self-sufficient, but I have uh, empathy for all of the parents that had to all of a sudden become teachers overnight. That's not easy.
1: Yeah, I've realized that I have many gifts. Teaching is not one of them. <laughs> and um, I've always had an appreciation of teachers because I have actually, I've known this for, for quite some time. But the fact that, and, and the teachers at my kids' schools, they were very motivated to go back and teach. Last question is Are leaders born or trained?
0: That's a great question, which I think is what people say when they want to buy time to answer the question better. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with neither uh, because both of those um, being born or being trained implies like something being done upon you by another. And I think leaders are self determined. I think. They're self-made. I think that's your decision. Are you going to lead or are you going to follow? And if you want to lead, get after it.
1: There is, I I think that there is no one answer to that question. So I'd like to hear what everyone thinks about it. Dan, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate your time.
0: Thank you, Trisha. It's been my pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Providers Properties and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast and share the podcast with others. Previous episodes are available on the podcast website, providerspropertiesandperformance.com, where you can also sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only, and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.